Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast formerly known as Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for coming along on the journey of this podcast. We are almost at six years and nearly 600 episodes since I started this show. I had no idea. I I started Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do with the hope of doing 50 episodes. But the reality is most podcasts die between seven and 12 shows. It's called pod fade because they come in, the host thinks they're going to do this and they fade away. Uh, So I survived pod fade. I survived the first year and now we're coming up on the sixth year. We have a new name, uh, a little bit of a fresh focus, and I'm really excited about the growth that's taking place for this podcast. So thank you to all of you. In fact, I'm going to make an ask right here at the front of the show. If you like making waves at sea level, yeah, I want you to go leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love. But more importantly, tell a friend. Because when I ask people who listen to the show, how did you find it? They tell me, my boss, my mom, my friend, somebody told them about it. So go out in person or on social media. In fact, you can do it right now. I'll wait. There you go. Thank you for going and telling somebody. All right. So let's jump into today's episode. So today's episode is with a new friend of mine. I recently met Lee Gimple uh, through the uh, American Society of Associations Executives, which is essentially the association of associations. I always tell people that is proof. There's an association for everybody. And ASAE does a great job of connecting people who run associations. And a big part of the association world is meetings. And both Lee and I fall into that world of people who have vendors around meetings. Now, I'm a speaker and master of ceremonies, but Lee, Lee is a guy who's not always, but often behind the scenes, making sure that people have the best practices and best ideas of how to make their meetings better. In fact, his company is actually called Better Meetings, and he has seen a huge pivot in the last five months because meetings vanished and now they've reappeared as virtual. But none of us, including the speakers, none of us knew what to do. So Lee has become a really important part of the meetings world for both associations and companies. Because let's face it, if you're going to put on a virtual meeting and you've never done it before, you don't want it to suck. And I've been going to a lot of meetings and some of them suck. And so that's why I thought I'd bring Lee on the show, because whether you're a small company, a big company or an association, you might be putting on gatherings and Lee's got some really good best practices and you won't have to hire him. You can just get them all for free right here on this show. But of course, you can always hire him later. So Lee Gimple, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Uh, Thank you, Tom. It is a pleasure to be here. I don't know if I'm actually like episode 600, but uh, that's a lot. Congrats. A little shy. I I think we're right about 590. I don't have the order for the last few decided yet, but but we're we're closing in on 600, that magic 600. I'm excited. Uh, We both both survived the uh, the pod fade here that everyone talks about. That's exactly right. So how did you get into being a meetings consultant? What did you do before Better Meetings? and, And how did you say, I have to start my own business? You know, it's funny. I, I guess we can use these words from uh, from the top of the show. But uh, 
I think it's going to a lot of meetings that sucked, right? <laughs> um, the, the analogy that I think I use sometimes is like, now that I kind of know how to, to do meetings, I, I think about being one of these people who understands how to use turn signals. And then when you're on the road, you always get super frustrated when people can't use turn signals and uh, you know, sort of like yell out the, the window, like, why can't you use your turn signals? And you know, the reality is for decades and decades, I was in meetings that were not very good. And when I say meetings, you know, board meetings, team meetings, department meetings, conferences, you know, all these different size meetings, but gatherings of people. So you bring up and, an wait, you bring up a really interesting point we have to touch yeah. on for all business people who are listening. Yeah. What a meeting is for you might be something that's different than the meeting for the people next door. The meetings industry as a big umbrella, it's giant. The impact on the GDP of the United States is actually as big or bigger than the automotive industry when you look at everything that fits in to where people spend money on meetings. But because the automotive industry is like four or five companies plus their suppliers, uh, whereas the meetings industry is like five billion independents, you know, and a couple of big hotel chains and airlines, uh, they don't track it the same way. But the impact on the GDP, when we look at what's going on in the economy, a big chunk of the reason that the economy is, is having its problems is live meetings have stopped. And that could be my sales team meeting in my living room and I'm catering in chicken sandwiches, or that could be an association with 5,000 people taking over a convention center or everything yeah. in between. Yeah, 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 no, it's, yeah, it's it's a really big world out there. And I think, you know, to answer your question about how I got into this and, and why meetings, um, you know, meetings are these things that everyone loves to hate and, most of us have never, you know, if I talk about team meetings, you know, board meetings, staff meetings, most people never get any training in that. No one learns how to do it, right? You just assume, oh, you'll pick it up as you go along. And I, I you know, I graduated from business school and I, no one ever taught me how to do a meeting, right? And then I went to work at, you know, a bunch of companies or new companies. And again, no one actually teaches you how to do this, except in, you know, rare cases that there's you know, like, you know, GE puts you through a training program or something like that, or so somebody gives you a one hour on how to write an agenda, but still for the most part, it's this thing that we do you know, five or 10 hours a week in some cases, and no one has taught us how to do it. So you might be an expert in you know engineering or whatever, but you're in all these meetings all the time and no one knows how to do that. And I think, you know, how I got here was, um, you know, just being in a lot of meetings over the years um, and sort of getting frustrated and knowing hey, there's a better way to do this. And so the short answer is how I got here is I spent 10 years, or the last 10 years of my career before this, uh, I was working for a company called LifeWise. And a lot of the work that we were doing was helping organizations improve, you know, how they connected to customers, how do they um, ran workshops, how they ran classes. This was all you know, largely within the um, financial education world. And the things that we were helping people do was have conversations about really, really difficult, miserable things. And that was like talking about personal finance. And I kind of said, well, I've taken all these skills and tools in that world and done it for something like the thing that people hate talking about. People would rather talk about sex than money, right? So like, how do we like make that a good interaction between clients or, you know, spouses or whatever? Um, and to really take those, those skills and those techniques um, and, and do them in a, you know, in a bigger world than I guess I had been doing it. Um, so yeah, long answer, but that's why I got here. 
All right. So so I, I'm going to break this down simply. I mean, there's lots of different types of meetings, but let's first look at, at companies or associations, small internal meetings. So that could be a board meeting. That could be a staff meeting, uh, an all team meeting, whatever. So you've got those types of meetings. Then yeah. you have sort of larger, like maybe training meetings or a chamber of commerce networking meeting or, or something like that. And then you have like these mega conferences uh, that like the associations put on for their annual meetings and things like that. So yeah. let's break these down pre-COVID really yeah. quick for each of those small, medium and large internal yeah. and external. Where did people drop the ball in meetings pre-COVID? And then let's move into the virtual world. <laughs> I mean, we, we only have 30 minutes. I don't know that we have time to go, to go through all of Let's just people. pick a few areas where yeah, people saw yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, yesterday I sat in on this session, actually at a really big virtual conference uh, with Priya Parker, who's I think one of my sort of idols within this world. Um, and, and I kind of agree with her that I think a lot of meetings, they just happen or gatherings, right? They just happen without a purpose. And, um, you know, if you think about the morning staff meeting or the Monday morning staff meeting, a lot of these things have just like, they happen every Monday. They've been happening every Monday for 10 years and they just forget like past like the Dread Pirate Roberts, right? Like one manager passes it to another and like, and, um, and there's no reason for it. Like it just, we lose the point of why we're meeting. It just becomes this thing that we do. It's almost like religion. Like we just, well, it happened because of that and we just keep doing it, right? Um, so I think... COVID hasn't really changed this. People are still doing Monday morning meetings and stuff. But uh, yeah, I would say there's no point to it. That's a really easy one. Um, there's there's no like objective to come out of it. Why are we meeting? I think there's a really classic, it could be an email, right? Or someone could have just made a decision instead of bringing all these people together. Um, and, you know, something that I've been thinking a lot about over the last couple months, uh, as we've talked all about this diversity and equity and, and whatever else in the world, um, I think a lot of meetings are run by sort of the people we imagine are going to run meetings and everyone else in the room is just sort of told, you know, this is what's happening and we don't hear all the voices. Um, and as a result, you know, it, it's not, I think it goes beyond just the equity of it is that you're not necessarily getting the best ideas out of people. I mean, I, there are lots of people in a room who just aren't necessarily going to speak up unless it's really to their advantage. And, and I think there are a lot of ideas that just never get heard and a lot of objections that never get heard because, you know, you're like the small, you know, you're like a petite sized junior person in the room, right? You're the intern or you're the admin or like whatever it is. Often those people have the best ideas or the best insight and they're just sort of, <laughs> they're just there. Um, anyway, so I think those are a couple of big ones. And then if we look going, I'm going to sort of group the trainings and the mega conferences together. And I will just say for me, I think they, they typically just miss the boat in saying it's all about content. It's all about content. It's all about trainings. It's, or it's all about like, you know, the sessions where someone's doing a PowerPoint in front of a bunch of people. And I would say that for me, conferences are about the root word of conferring, right? It's a conference, right? No one ever talks about, oh, I'm looking to go to something because it's just a bunch of people presenting at me, you know, present at ends or something like that, right? <laughs> um, and, and I think they just leave that, that idea of like people are going to connect and come together and share best practices and make those connections. And they're just going to leave it to chance. And, and I think it, it leads to a much less rich experience. So that's how I would. 
Well, and it, it's interesting because I've spent the better part of almost 15 years speaking at big conferences about mm-hmm. how do you get people to engage more, right? It's been about, right. yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. about you know, your network and your brand and, and how do you create experiences for the people? And I find the best meeting planners, whether they're with companies or associations, are the ones who try to funnel every decision through, is this for the audience? Not does it save me money? Not yeah. does it honor our you know key people? Uh, but is this are we doing this for the audience? And when when they run it through that filter, you end up with these conferences that are an experience that people are like, wow, they want to come back to. They tell people about. And when yeah. they when they run it through, they well, we're going to save money or we're honoring, you know, our, you know, the the, the trendy people in our organization. Uh, it, it always seems to fall flat. And, and nobody ever says, oh, we don't do this for the audience. Mm-hmm. We do this to honor our board. And yet yeah. they make I mean, decisions all the time. Right. That. I'm going to I'm sure there's a question coming, but I'm going to cut you off and just like nod vigorously here, although people, you know, people can't actually see me doing it, but I'll, I'll nod loudly or something. Um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of conferences are built on logistics, right? How can we get the number of rooms and the number of projectors and coffee at the right time and all that stuff? And we sort of miss the human element of it. And to your point about, uh, you know, it's not designed around the audience. I 100 percent agree with that. And my, the thing I always think of with that is, uh, is panels, right? Let's do a bunch of panels and you put people on these panels and you've got a panel with like six or seven people and they're like the lights of the industry and they're on your board and your sponsors and you have six people talking on a panel that's 60 minutes and you're still going to take questions at the end. So each one of these people, you know, you're, you're splitting this panel into 45 minutes and you've got six people. So like at best they each get five or six minutes to talk and it's, like as an audience, we've all sat there and we're all on our phones and everyone's like, this is so dumb. But the person running the or running the, the conference without looking at at it from the, the audience perspective has said it's important to get these people on the stage and they've lost sight of, you know, the thousand people not in the stage. You know, so I, I, I talked to a client the other day who I'm going to emcee their virtual event and I'm going to be the moderator of the panel. And yeah. one of the reasons, even though I don't know their industry they've seen me interview and moderate panels and they're like, Oh, what we learned is a good panel takes a good seasoned moderator. And I'm like, yes. And so I was all excited. And then they told me the panel's a half hour and I'm like, awesome. And then they said it had eight people. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it can't have eight people if you're doing it. It shouldn't have eight people if it was two hours long. They each get to speak for 30 seconds. Yeah. yeah. And and they're like, well, but we have to have this sponsor and that person. This I said, well, fortunately, you haven't published your agenda yet. Let's do two panels because I believe I don't care how long your panel is. Three people is a panel. Eight people is a mess. And, you know, so again, it's, we have to think about what is the audience, not who are we honoring, you know, for this, this type of thing. So anyway, this has been a problem long before COVID and the switch to virtual and hybrid. Yeah. I would imagine your phone has been ringing more in the last couple of months than it has as long as better meetings has existed. Is that true? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's a, there's sort of the initial, shock back in you know whatever it was february i guess uh, march uh, march 13th was the yeah, yeah, right. was the day well, the business died yeah 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 um uh because you know most of the work that i was doing was in person right and 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 when i started the company people said oh do you want to are you going to work uh virtually and i said yeah i'll do it but i mean working in person we all know is so much richer everyone's bemoaning the idea that like we can't be in person um but it's been you know, so there's that initial moment of, you know, in March where you're like, 
wow, all right, so what are we going to do? I'm going to go. And we all thought it was going to be like four or five weeks. Uh, I don't know that I was thinking that, but like, yes, the, uh, I'm here in DC and they were like, you know, we're going to be, things are going to be shut for like three weeks. And I was like, I don't think we're going to solve this in three weeks. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, it's just been so interesting and frankly, so invigorating to do this work and to be able to innovate in this space. Um, and to have people have no choice but to, to accept it and try new things has been really exciting. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's super busy and there's still tons of things to figure out. And, you know, a lot of us are fumbling around in the dark and sort of doing it together. And, you're like, you know, you're working with people. It's the first time they're, they've done a conference online with, you know, a software company that, like, wasn't initially built to do an online conference. It was meant to, like, be the app part of, you know, an, uh, an in-person conference. So, but I, I think with Mother being the necessity of invention, there's just a lot of really fun, interesting things that are happening here, which is not to say that all online meetings or conferences are fun and interesting, um, but potentially it's out there. But yeah, it's been it's been very busy. Uh, it's nice to actually just take a, time, take, a, take a moment here with you, Tom, and, and just talk instead of uh, doing client calls back to back. So now that we've moved to this world of virtual and, and hybrid is certainly here to stay. I've been saying since this started that hybrid conferences uh, where you have the live element and an at-home audience. Six yeah. years ago, I started a program called The Conference Talk Show with my friend Eliz Green. We now yeah. have a, a web show called The Webinar Talk Show, which is a spinoff yeah. from that. But yeah. six years ago, we started hosting hybrid side uh, the the online side of hybrid events because we knew at that time that the online audience had different needs than the audience in the ballroom. Well, for the time being, we don't have anyone in the ballroom. It's all at home. Right. And, and eventually we're going to end up with both. I think six years ago, we might have been ahead of our time, but I think this hybrid component stays forever and will influence what happens in the live room as well as what happens in the live room will influence what people see at home. Yeah. But but now with the clients you're working with who are doing virtual, what are some of the mistakes they're making? Um, you know, we were talking about this earlier before we got on the air. Uh, I think a lot of what's happening online just exacerbates what, what has always been happening in person. Um, so one thing that I would say has been the most obvious pitfall of moving online, in, in my humble opinion, I suppose, um, is that we're checking the box and saying a conference um, or a meeting is designed around content. It's designed around one person talking and, and everyone else listening. And um, well, before I keep going, do you want me to, do you want to just talk about big conferences and those sorts of things? Or do you want to jump back into like smaller events? And Whatever stuff? you want, Lee, there's no right, rules. Well, let's, well, yeah, let's, let's, I, I think the, as we're talking about hybrid and stuff, I, let's, let's say with the big conferences. Um, so, I think people have checked the box and said, you know, we had a hundred PowerPoint sessions that were happening in, you know, the Atlantic room and the Pacific room and the, you know, all these other, you know, ballrooms in, in you know, the Hilton or something. And we just, we recorded them and we put them online, you know, done and dusted. That's it. And when you ask, certainly when you ask attendees, but I think when you ask conference organizers as well, you say, well, why, why do you go to conferences? And very rarely, I think, do people say, God, I just love sitting in a room, having someone talk to me over 45 minutes, you know, in 50 slides. And you say, all right, so why, why are you at this event? Why did you fly all the way to Vegas or to Minneapolis or whatever? And people say, oh, because it's a chance to get together with all these other people in my industry. 
And you say, okay, well, why does that matter? Well, I got a job from so-and-so and I learned how to solve this problem from so-and-so. And, you know, it's all about the people. Yeah. I mean, the, the networking component of events has always been huge. And, and you know, I don't mean to undercut the content by any means, because the content sure. is important and you justify yeah. it to your boss. Yeah, There's yeah, these yeah. 25 breakout sessions. I'll yeah. probably go to two because I'll be in the bar yeah. the whole time. But yeah. these are the things I could go to. However, yeah. every survey that I've ever seen in the meetings industry for the past 15 years, number one and number two reasons people go are the learning and the networking. And it depends on which survey, which way comes up on top. But it's yeah. always content and not yeah. content or the networking. Yeah. And I think, and you can talk more to this, I think we've dropped the ball on virtual and written off many people have written off the human connection side of a virtual event. And yet I've proven and I've seen it from others you can engage. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, I I couldn't agree more, right? And and I think that's really where I've carved out my my niche here is that that's I mean that's sort of the hill that I'm going to die on is it should be about content. And I, you know, if you're a conference and you're saying, hey, we're looking for someone to tell us we need more PowerPoint presentations, like I'm probably not the right guy for you. But if you're saying, like I, I was talking to a client the other day, and they've got a thousand you know, let's say big suppliers and big buyers. And they say it's a thousand, you know, it's a thousand people that come to the conference. They never have more than 200 in any session because they're all in their suites and they're all in the hallways and they're doing like seven, eight, nine, 10 figure deals or something around industrial products and stuff. Um, so, yeah. So, so getting people to be able to network and connect and have that human engagement part is something you specialize in. In fact, I went to a, a conference that you put on. It's how I met you. I went to a, a seminar that you put on about yeah. how to get people to engage. And you did something interesting. And that was when you broke us up, because there were, I don't know, lots of people in this conference. Yeah. When you broke us up into Zoom breakout rooms, which I'm a yeah. huge fan of. I use it in my training as well. Yeah, yeah. You broke us up into groups of three. Now, yeah. I knew why you were doing this because I do this, but other people were like, three? Why a group of three? And yet, having been to thousands of conferences in my life, yeah. if you were to go into the networking room, you know, the cocktail party, people stand around in groups, in groups of three or maybe four. I call them yeah. conversation clusters yeah. when you're yeah. at a live thing. People don't stand around in groups of 10 to 12. And yet most groups, when using this breakout capability, whether it's Zoom or a different platform, they're sending people in in groups of 10, 12, 15. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. not naturally how we converse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it's it's like somehow logic kind of breaks down for people. I mean, we know in the real world or, you know, in when we were, we're used to getting together with people, we don't stand in a circle of 10 people and just sort of like talk within 10 people. Rarely, rarely happens. Even, even when we're at the lunch and it's a table of 10, we only talk to our person on our right and our person on our left. Oh, yeah, rarely right. do people go around the table for a full conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those eight person rounds or 10 person rounds that all that, you know, again, we talk about conferences being logistics driven. It's very, very difficult to get people at a, a table of eight or 10 people to talk to anyone but the person next to them because it's like there's there's 10 feet of solid wood between you and you know the person on the other side. And half of these conferences, because of the aesthetics, they put giant centerpieces in the middle because right. it looks yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, However, yeah, going yeah. back to what I said before, the giant centerpiece isn't about the audience because now I can't see anyone on the other side. Yeah, of the table. yeah, yeah. No, I often when I go to conferences, I sort of like hijack parts of them for myself, and I will sit at the table and like take off the uh, the centerpiece because I'm like I can't even see the people and, on the other side. And the planner spent like two hundred bucks a centerpiece. You realize, and you're, yeah, you're sticking it under the table. I know, I know. So I'm I'm definitely not. I think conferences should look good, but I wouldn't put my money into the aesthetics necessarily. Right. I think a lot of that is, as you're saying, it's, it's not adding value for folks. It, it looks great. It's great for pictures. A lot of conferences look great in pictures, but you know, the actual experience, I think leaves something to be desired. Um, so I, I'm going to make you share some free consulting yeah. here in just a second, right, but, but first I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. <laughs> all right. So this episode, like all of them is brought to you by Podfly productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves like Lee Gimple. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Lee. Wait, let, let me stop you. Uh, we, we, I, I realize I didn't actually answer your question, right? Why, why would we put three people in a room? So oh, let yeah. me do that. And that's like part of the free consulting here. Um, so I, there's a meeting technique or a group, you know, group dynamic technique. Uh, it's called think, pair, share. There's lots of different variations on it. Um, it's sort of an antidote to just asking a room, Hey, what do you think? And either you get no answer or, you know, people sort of look down at their, their shoes or you get one person who's just like, I have all the answers and that person just talks. So in that case, you say, think about what you're going to say, write it down, take a minute. That's the think part. The pair part is, you know, partner up with somebody, talk about what it was. And then the share part is usually you come back together as a group. Um, lots of different variations on that and, you know, different numbers and different lengths of time and everything. Um, so I usually try and do something like that. The reason uh, when we met at that session that I was running, we were using threes is the simple fact that techno- technology often ruins pairs online. Um, so you put two people in a room, uh, particularly in a big group, sometimes someone's audio isn't working. Sometimes their video isn't working. Um, sometimes they've gone to get a coffee or they've gone to the bathroom or something. So you wind up stranding people. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think threes and fours work really well online. I think once you get to fives and sixes, and certainly as you were talking about, it's a breakout room with 10 people or 20 people. That is not a panacea. It's just what you say. It's not, it's not an answer. It's just a mess, right? right. So yeah, that's, that's the reason for the threes. Um, small groups, small groups are good. So, so that's, that's good advice. So let's, let's dive into a little more free consulting. So yeah. if a company or an association was sitting here with us, and they were putting on a virtual meeting. Maybe it's their first one, or maybe they've just done a few where they've just set up their agenda as if it had been the live thing. And feedback yeah. was the feedback I hear from people is I say, how was that event you went to? And they go, oh, it was great under the circumstances. And I go, what do you mean? And they go, well, we would have rather been together in person. But since we couldn't, I thought the team did a good job of organizing this. You know, I mean, it was kind of a one-way thing and they shut off, you know, uh, chat in the in the box. And so there wasn't really any networking, but the speakers were okay. I mean, they would have been better in person, you know, but, uh, the, you know, they pre-recorded it and it, it was kind of canned, but it was the first time. I mean, it's like as they talk, their complement yeah. of the event just craters to the bottom. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah. that's their experience, and now they're going to do another event. What would you tell them to do? Uh, yeah, no, I love it. It's like dinner was great because I was starving. Um, <laughs> uh, so one thing that's been really interesting, I think, about going online is that potentially the audience is so much bigger. You don't have the cost and the hassle of getting there. Often the, the ticket is, is much cheaper. Um, so you have really big audiences, and you can get really big audiences, and I think that's really – sexy for conference organizers to say we had, you know, we, we had 500 people in person. We have a thousand online. Um, we had 10,000 online. Um, but it winds up being less intimate. It winds up basically being, Hey, we were all sitting in front of our screens at the same time, basically watching YouTube together. Um, so if we're talking about this in the context of conferences, I, I would start again from this place of why are you getting together? Why, why do you do this event? And very rarely, as we were saying earlier, do people say it's a hundred percent networking. I don't care about meeting anyone at this conference or interacting with anyone else. Like, you mean it's a hundred percent con rarely do they say a hundred percent content. They don't care about sorry. meeting anybody. Yeah. Yeah. They're, right. They're sorry. They're saying like, yeah, no, rarely do people say I only am here for the content. I don't care about anything else. Right. You, you rarely hear that. Um, and, I think conferences have mostly started from the place of we're going to get the content online and whatever happens after that happens. And you say, well, is there any sort of interaction between people? Is there any sort of interactivity? And they say, yes. And I say, tell me about that. What are you doing that's interactive? And they say, well, we have polls. And I go, all right, well, tell me about that. And they say, well, you know, we have this 45 minute long presentation at the beginning, we ask them a poll and we say, you know, who's doing new things in, you know, in this new cycle or something, you know, yes or no. And that takes a minute and then we move on and let's not fool ourselves into thinking that that's interactive or that's any sort of human connection. Well, and especially if it's a pre-recorded or totally pre-planned presentation, the poll isn't affecting what the presenter is saying. Yeah. 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 But I think you shouldn't underestimate the power of people to want to connect. And, and in a way I think online is, is, sounds sacrilegious, but could be better than, than in person. I think particularly when we talk about uh, networking, because you take some of the, the sort of peer pressure out of it. You don't have people by themselves at the cheese plate, just sort of like standing there. You can just put them in a room or you can, and you can say, you're only going to be here for five minutes. Um, so yeah, to, to sort of like beat this to death, if I was going to do a conference or if I was talking to somebody that had just done one and, and they get the feedback of like, well, you know, under the circumstances, it was fine. Uh, I would challenge you and say, but how could it be great? I mean, like, really, how could it be a better meeting? I guess that's the uh, the question. But um, I would come back to what that experience is. And a lot of these platforms are pretty limited. You can't do the same things you could do in person, but you can also do a lot of other things. Like, I've been in some of these big events, and the chat just goes bananas, but in a good way. And there's tons of engagement. And, and then it just doesn't necessarily get captured. People are like pounding away on the chat and they've got all these great ideas and there's like solutions happening and connections. And then, and then they just turn off the chat and they're like, well, that was the end of the session. Sorry. And you can just feel people on the other side of their computer saying, but like Mary had that amazing idea. Let Mary talk, let her share that idea. You know, it's like a thousand people in the room want Mary to explain, you know, what she's talking about with the chat. And that moment just disappears. And, and I, and you have to be a great, I mean, you know, Tom, you are a professional who does this. You are great on stage. Most people are not, right? 
most people get the assignment. They're like, you know, you're an economist, you're an expert at, uh, you know, agricultural, you know, demand curves. Can you do 45 minutes on that? That is not where that person's strength lies. Well, and, right? and what, I, what I've said is that the professional speakers of the world all pivoted pretty quick into mm-hmm. this. Many of my peers invested in like multimedia studios in their house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a lot of us had already done virtual events. We recorded videos or I've yeah. you know done 600 podcasts, uh, some that yeah. have a video con- content to them. So there were a lot of professional speakers who were quickly up to speed yeah. being able to do a good job in a virtual thing. But most speakers who speak at meetings aren't paid professional speakers. Most speakers who speak are industry experts who are smart at something, who are sharing that knowledge. And the problem is they were probably going to be boring in ballroom sure. C. Totally. Yep. It They are way out of water, especially people who are shy about video who've never done it before. Yeah. And so yeah. one of the things I've found is there's so many ways to get it engaging. Shorten their speeches, do more Q&A. Uh, yeah. I'm a big believer. It's sort of my niche in the business is go for the talk show interview type portion uh my my partner for the webinar talk show eliz green and i say that an in-depth interview is going to be better than a talking head over powerpoint every single time yeah and there's exceptions i mean obviously if you've got you know a major super polished professional speaker they can handle it on their own but the average speaker to be led through an interview is going to be able to open up and share and go deeper but i want to go back as we wrap this up to you know we've been touching on the networking piece yeah my experience at events I've been attending is the networking piece has fallen short. I've had yeah. a few experiences where it's been great. And that's something I know you've been working with clients on. How can someone make the networking great? Yeah, I mean, uh, let's start from the place of networking doesn't look like a thousand people all watching one person on screen. And it doesn't look like, well, we opened up the chat box and like people could chat and we didn't open up the Q&A box and people could ask their Q&A. It's sort of like when we're at a live big event, open bar does not equal networking. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I often joke that people will, in the real the real world, whatever, whatever passes for real these days, um, but you know, that you'd say, oh, you're doing a gala, you're doing a reception, you're doing a networking event. Tell me about it. And they say, oh, we invited, you know, the 500 people that are supposed to be here and those 500 people showed up. And then you said, okay, and then what happens? And they said, well, we, there's a bar. And I say, okay, and what else? And they say, well, we put out a cheese plate. And you go, okay, and what? And so, then, like, there's a classic cartoon, and it's like, you know, all the scribbles, and at the end it just says, and then a miracle happens. And I think that's often what we expect is that people are just going to walk into this space, and they're going to be great at networking, and they're going to overcome their fears, and they're going to just walk up to people, and they're going to start sparkling conversations and we all see where this goes. It doesn't happen. Right? No. And in fact, I actually built my career 15 years ago. A, a client gave me a nickname that I used in all my marketing. And I, I am the conference catalyst because yeah, I would get yeah. up and I would give people tips of what to do at lunch, what to do. And I, I would do the opening keynote, but then I'd show up again before lunch. I'd show up again the next morning and give people little tips. And what always amazed me was people took a lot of people, not everybody took the tips and did them and then they'd meet more people people would come up and go i'm out of business cards because of you you made me talk to people the (laughs) best conference i've ever been to but i don't have any more business cards and that conference catalyst my 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 marketing thing was does your conference have a catalyst i'm bringing that back now as a marketing tool under does your virtual conference have a catalyst because we need to show people 
how to do it in this world. Because like you said, scribble, 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 then a miracle happened. Yeah. It's not yeah, yeah. it's not happening. Yeah. I mean, so where the rubber meets the road here is in a perfect world, I would say I've got breakout rooms. I have an ability to get people to connect face to face. I mean, you could do it by chat, but it it feels very stilted. I mean, I, I did this the other day and it, it felt like I was talking to a sales rep or not, a, you know, the, the customer service rep at Comcast. Like it didn't feel like I was meeting somebody at a, at a conference. Um, and I think even if you feel like you have that rapport, you meet somebody in this big room and you say, gosh, like you, you solve the problem that I have and you're chatting. I think you feel like I want to just have this conversation. It takes so much longer and so much effort to, you know, actually just type to someone instead of talk to them. And it's so much richer. So if we look at these conference platforms, if I was evaluating them and saying, I want to prioritize networking, I would say, can people actually video chat with each other? And can they do it in a way that, that doesn't have a lot of um, you know, pushback? It's not difficult to do. And I would say as an organizer, can I put people in you know, we're calling them breakouts. It sort of becomes synonymous with Zoom, but in small rooms or in small groups. Um, and people will push back and be like, oh, I don't know. I don't like meeting strangers. I do this all the time. I do it with a bunch of clients. And that's the piece that people love is the energy and the enthusiasm that comes from meeting other people that care about the things that they care about. I mean, I, I think we may have done this in the session where, where uh, we met. I will put people, you know, again, we'll just use Zoom. It's one everyone's familiar with. Um, we'll start in the, the main room and I'll put everyone in, you know, I'll say, put yourself on the grid view or the, um, the gallery view the, you know, the, to see everyone in the room. And then I'm going to send you out in the breakout rooms. And I want you to look at what, what everyone's face looks like before they go out and when they come back. And inevitably, when you look at the before, it's a bunch of people that are like staring at their screens and they're bored. Yeah, especially if they're not super seasoned using Zoom. They're like kind of scared of the camera and they kind of have yeah. that 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 fear face. Yeah, right. And it's just like people are kind of, you know, it's that skeptical face of, all right, here I am. I'm on video. All right. You know, I'm at your dumb webinar and or your dumb conference or, you know, your dumb networking event or your dumb virtual gala. Here I am. And and then you send them off and you say, you're going to get a chance to meet two other people, three other people. I'm going to give you something to talk about and you're only going to be in this room for a little bit. And you're going to know how long you're going to be there. And like, even if you're stuck with someone terrible, you're, you're only there for five minutes. You're not stuck, you know, cornered with, you know, that terrible person that, that's trying to tell you about some investment opportunity or something, right? So you put people in those rooms and they come back and they are just like different people. It's a different audience and they're so engaged and I get it. Conferences don't, you don't have to do that for the entire conference, but to miss out on that and just say, we're only going to have people stare at this screen and they're only going to get information that comes to them one way. Um, you know, it's gotta be great. I, I turn off million dollar shows all the time on Netflix, right? They spent a million dollars, $10 million on that show. They hired professional actors. They spent a thousand hours on that show. Eh, it's on that great. I turn it off your conference has to have some pretty amazing relevant content for me to want to sit there, not just for an hour, but for like six or eight hours a day. So I would say let's put some human factor into that and some, some connection. And, and I think that that is a bit of a panacea if I can. So there's kind of two ways companies can work with you. you. You do consulting where you help walk them through laying all this out. And then you also do some facilitation. So, uh, 
Tell us what you've seen the last couple of months, both as a consultant and a facilitator. Um, yeah, I mean, so I break it down. I say I do facilitation, so it's online and offline. And some of that is like sort of running the levers now, doing Zoom and, and whatever. Uh, some of it is training, helping people to do this. And then some of it is is design and sort of like, you know, fixing things that are there. Um, I mean, everyone needs all of it. It's all new to everyone. So um, I think there's a real market for what you're talking about here with moderation. And this is something that I've been preaching for years is it rarely works really well at, at a conference or even if it's a business meeting or it's a retreat or it's a board meeting, like it really helps to have somebody there who knows what's going on and can like keep things moving and okay, we've only got five minutes left. And, and, and I will tell you, a lot of organizations, companies, and associations don't use professional masters of ceremonies for their events, but the ones who do always do. So, you know, they'll only use the same one for a few years because it's I always joke with them after like three years. I understand it's not the Tom show. Yeah. But they're not going to be like, oh, we've used Tom for three years in a row as our master of ceremonies. We're going to go back to our board chair. No, they yeah. hire a different MC who has kind of a different yeah. style. And in yeah. fact, a couple of associations in the past have put me like on a rotation, like they'll use me on an odd year and they'll use somebody else on an even year who is uh, totally different than I am in style in demographic, et cetera. And that way every year the conference is a little different, but they don't stop using MCs. They, you know, yeah. once the comp the organizations that use them realize it makes the meeting flow, like you said, keeps it on time, brings yeah. in the energy, gives those recaps, et cetera. Yeah, that's new. I feel like I just learned something here. I hadn't thought about the sort of off-year uh, mix-up there. That's oh, it's 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 the greatest gig I ever had. Was I knew I was going to come back every other year, you know, for like three times. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Um, so yeah, I think there's some of that. I think we realize that having you know, if you're presenting, whether it's in a board meeting or it's at a conference or something, obviously the stakes are a little different. But um, or you know, staff meeting or something. Um, there's a lot of things to handle. I mean, there's audio and video and turning people on and off. And I, I mean, when I do stuff behind the scenes, I've got two monitors going, I've got six or seven windows open. So I think the idea of saying to someone who's speaking or presenting, speak and present, but also you have all this weight on your shoulders and I want you to walk around with that. Um, so in terms of you know how we're helping, it's taking some of that weight off of the, the presenters or something, right? You just gave me an idea. As a speaker, I probably need to hire you to be behind the scenes pushing the levers for me when I'm putting on events uh, for, yeah. some, for some clients because sometimes the speaker has to do all of it and it's hard. Yeah, I mean, we're bringing in a lot of that, you know, people sitting at the, the control board in a big space, but now it's happening individually in all our homes and you're asking someone to do all that, like adjust the you know, the sound and the mute this and do that. And now you've got to show this thing up there. But, you know, if you've got your word document on top of the screen, then that's going to show as well. And, you know, it's, it's just a lot to, to juggle. And I, I heard somebody the other day talk about just the mental load of making this transition and being a speaker presenting uh, online instead of in person. You just, a lot of these things that weren't givens of like, obviously I'm in the same room with them. I'm talking, they can hear me. That's not a given. You don't start from that place necessarily. Right. Um, so that's the facilitation side, the training side. I feel like I've been doing a lot of work with, you know, well, I guess conferences on how to help their speakers not be terrible. I mean, you know, how do we, how do we do something? So the whole event is not death by PowerPoint. It's even, you know, it's tough in person. It's even worse online. Um, so helping them break that up and do things that are more engaging and, and put in little 
you know, energizer bumps and do more Q and A and don't save it all for the last three minutes. And, you know, a bunch of that stuff, um, helping their moderators and their facilitators do some of that, you know, moderation and facilitation. So it's again, less burden on, on the speakers. Um, and then I think a lot of the just basic meeting skills for, you know, they're online, but a lot of them are just basic skills of how do we get people to, to come up with better ideas or more ideas or come to consensus or, you know, find action items. Um, it's harder online um, and there's things to do differently, but I think a lot of it are just basic meeting skills. And then I think the, the design side is partly how do we adjust this meeting that was, you know, our Monday morning staff meeting and how now it's online. How do we make that, A, not bad, but also good. Um, or, you know, we look at a conference. I think this has been really fun work for me. If someone says, here's my agenda for my conference, here's two days. Um, I just came from doing this uh, before I got on the call. Uh, how do we make this better and different? And we could start from scratch and just say, oh, throw it all out. Or we could say, well, you know, you've got this break here or, you know, you're starting at, you know, eight in the morning or something. And the people on the West Coast, they're probably not going to get up at five. So let's think about that. Um, you never had to think about that when you were all in Vegas at the same time. You're all in the same time zone. Um, yeah, so, yeah that, that, that's that's interesting because you got to take time zones into effect. If you're international, you have to take the international time zones into effect. Yeah. Um you know, so I've, I've kind of seen all these things in, in working with clients as well. The other thing is, is that uh, I worked with one client and they were starting at like three in the afternoon and they were going to have like 30 people live in the ballroom. It was a hybrid event and 700 online. And I said, why don't we start the broadcast five, four, four minutes early? And I'll just sort of welcome everybody as they come in. We'll let them know we're starting early. We'll talk yeah. about what the plans are for the day, what we're going to do so that when we get to the top of the hour, we can hit the thing running and it worked out so well. The people online, you know, we got to engage. I had them use the chat room. We talked about the different things that were going to go on throughout the day. And yeah, some people didn't show up till the top of the hour or later, but there's always those people. And it's a lot of people who show up three, four five minutes early, start the broadcast and have your host just talking to them. Like we weren't broadcast in the room. I was just talking to them. Hey, at home audience, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the challenges that, that's always been there and, and hopefully we will overcome it as it becomes a more important component of events is, uh, and, you know, or small meetings, big meetings, whatever this hybrid idea for the most part, if you were online, you were a second class citizen. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's like we're doing this stuff in, in real life. And then also you're watching at home fine, sure, whatever, but you weren't involved. Oh, and the speakers never addressed the at-home. That's why we started the conference talk show six years ago was we knew that those at-home audiences needed to be engaged, needed to be be set up. And I think that that's, that's the long tail of all of this is when we have hybrid events, they're going to be shortening the on-stage stuff to at least meet in the middle with the attention span of the at-home audience because it's different. When you're in yeah. the ballroom, there's a lot of aesthetics going on. When I'm sitting here... I'm staring at that computer. And as you and I do, we have a lot of back-to-back -back meetings. I get Zoom fatigue. Yeah. Well, and it's it's even worse when, you know, if you can run a fun meeting that's like really engaging and people are, you're participating in it, that's really different. If you're yeah. if you're just staring at, you know, what is essentially really bad TV for six hours, right? It's This is not Game of Thrones. This is you staring at, you know, your guy talking about TPS reports. Uh, yep. You know, that's not awesome. All right. So if people are listening to this and they're like, I need better meetings, how do they find <laughs> Lee Gimple at better meetings? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's so few people that are like, no, you know what? Our meetings are fine. We're great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the website, uh, it's not a dot com. It's bettermeetings.expert. Uh, I like to think that we have some expertise in that. So bettermeetings.expert. 
expert, uh, all one word. Um, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's and I'm sure they can find you on the socials at Lee Gimple somehow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think most of it still comes under the better meeting stuff and comes off the website. Cool. But um, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> LinkedIn and Facebook and, and whatever else. Yeah. Well, I knew that this was going to run long because I knew that uh, you and I talking about how to make meetings better. I knew there was going to be a, be a lot to talk about. We could have done like six parts to this episode. But Lee, yeah, thank you. Like, thank like, you for being yeah. here. Uh, thank you. I know. I appreciate being here. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, this is, I don't know if I'm going to be 600 for sure, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. I know a lot of people that have gone, like, I'm going to start a podcast and it does go those seven shows and then it dies. So to, to go this far is, is pretty awesome. So I salute you for that. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. My guess is you're going to be around 591, but that would involve math and I'm not going to do that right now. So, right, but, ag- but again, thank you so much for being here and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode, if it wasn't for the audience, I wouldn't do the podcast. It's all about you. So if you like the show, let me know. Uh, as I said earlier, go tell your friends. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody who's making waves just like Lee is in their industry. And in the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.